0: Okay, hey, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's Wednesday, February 4th, and I'm joined uh, for this episode of the I Own College Basketball Podcast by Darren Horn. Of course, he was the coach at Western Kentucky, took him to the Sweet 16, coached at South Carolina, now college basketball analyst for ESPN, and he was in studio last night on the SEC Network uh, watching a slew of games, just like I was in studio last night for CBS Sports Network watching a slew of games. That's basically how we spend our weekdays now, right, Darren? I sit in studio and watch you, you sit in studio and watch me.
1: Absolutely. In fact, sometimes I request, can you get my man GP uh, on the CBS network on one of these 19 screens we got in here? <laughs> that is exactly what we're doing as well. We sit in a, I think they call it the
0: bullpen, and we have like, uh, yeah, we have like 15 different televisions. And so we've got uh, feeds of everything, including Darren Horn. How do you like the How you like the TV gig?
1: You know what? I'm having fun. I really am. I'm learning a lot. Uh, obviously, I'm getting to watch a ton of basketball. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I like doing the games, too. You know, studio's good, but I like being in the games. It feels a little bit more like coaching because uh, you're actually talking about the game as it develops. Uh, but uh, I'm having a blast right now. And i got a lot of stuff I want to talk to you
0: about, but let, let's start with a team that was in action last night, the nation's top-ranked team, John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, another game, another win. They're now 22-0 and overall, so let's just start with the question everybody asks. Are they going to enter selection Sunday undefeated?
1: I still think they're going to drop one, hmm. and 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 I'm probably just saying that because I'm sticking to what I said two months ago. I know, right? But, but 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 there's so many games, Gary. You know, like last night. I mean, inside three minutes, that's a two possession basketball game. They're at home, and George is playing without their best player, Marcus Thornton, who leads them in scoring and rebound, and brings them some kind of inside presence. You know, they just they seem a little disinterested at times, which is understandable when you're that good and you're winning. Uh, that easily in so many games and I I don't know I just think they'll go on the road or or have a night where maybe somebody doesn't step up because that's the thing that's been so impressive about them is you know it seems like it's been a different guy every night and that's been enough because they are so deep you know um correct
0: my memory if it's failing me but aren't you you're the first coach to beat the 2010 team wasn't that right
1: yeah, yeah, they were nineteen and zero right. uh, in two thousand and ten, uh, and with uh, John Wall, Boogie Cousins, right. Eric Bledsoe, Patrick Patterson, and the like.
0: Isn't it crazy? Like you look back at that team, and I know it's it's just a byproduct of the way the tournament set up. It's a you know single elimination tournament of forty minute games, but the idea that that's going to be the John Calipari team that didn't go to the Final Four. I mean, when you look at NBA careers, I mean Bledsoe, Boogie, John Wall; those are all All Star level guys. That, um, that not only did you beat at South Carolina, but then um, they got bounced, of course, in the NCAA tournament. That's a remarkable – in terms of just individual talent, I think you could argue maybe that was John's most talented individual
1: team. Is that fair? Oh, I, I don't think there's any question. To me, it's not an argument. Gary. Right. I mean, that, that, that team was for sure – you're talking about basically three max guys in the NBA. Bledsoe didn't quite get it, but 90 million is close enough. Guys play <laughs> yes. And, and, and Patrick Patterson's in a rotation – uh, you know, uh, a regular rotation on a good team in Toronto. I mean, that team on an individual talent standpoint was the best team Cal's had, in my opinion.
0: Wow. Um, so so Andrew Harrison uh, on this Kentucky team has been the most criticized guy on the roster, I think, by a wide margin. Some of that's because of him. Some of it's because of the presence of Tyler Euless. But, but I know you really like Andrew Harrison. Sell me on Andrew Harrison.
1: Well, you know, I don't know if it's that I like Andrew Harrison as much as I like 6'6", 220-pound <laughs> point guard. Right. You know, and, and, and I think part of it is, you know, a guy like you and me sits in the stands, and we watch Tyler Uless, and, and he's little, and, and, you know, we're as big or bigger than him, and, you know, he looks like he passes the ball before he shoots it more often than not. And we say, man, that guy's really good. Wouldn't we be better if we played him? And the reality is there is nothing about the numbers that bear that out. And and, and the biggest one is, and, and we don't always get to everything in the games, as you know, from doing studio, but you know, I've been waiting for about my last two Kentucky games to show. Their numbers are pretty similar. In fact, Harrison's are better. But the one that really stands out is Harrison's got like 80-plus free throw attempts, right. and Ulysses I don't think is even at 40. Wow. And that matters. In close games, that matters. And so I think it's great that they have two point guards but at the end of the day, you, you just—it's much harder to deal on both ends of the floor with six-six-two-twenty than it is five-nine-one 155 pounds. And, and and I've had Kentucky five pounds this year, Gary. That might be generous listing right. for Tyler Eulis He is a little bitty fella, terrific player, but physically just can't do some of the things that Andrew Harrison can do. Yeah, you know, I'm honestly not
0: not a huge Andrew Harrison fan, but I I I, I am a little. I don't know. I can I can sympathize with what he's having to deal with, because that must be, I don't care how, quote, hard you are or how much you don't care. You hear this stuff that, you know, while you were, you've gone from being a you know consensus top 10 recruit in America to being a point guard that took your team on some level to the national championship game to people wondering why you're starting instead of the new little kid. And um, I, I, I'm sympathetic to that because, like, even last night after the uh the win over Georgia, in which he played well. A lot of the questions cause I you know, there's a hundred people covering Kentucky and they all tweet everything about Kentucky, some of the questions directed at Andrew were like what do you say to people who think you're not good? And I'm like, gee, that's like a hell of a thing for a 19, 20-year-old to have to hear in a public setting that there's a lot of people that think you're not good. And so uh, I'm a little, like, I I actually root for him on some level because I can't imagine what it would be like for for me at 19 or 20 to go through that or for my son to have to go through that. And I wonder how much you think, uh, to the extent that there are not People who don't love Andrew Harrison, how much of his reputation is hurt simply because he might have been overvalued coming out of high school? In other words, we look at guys all the time and we decide whether they're great or whether they stink relative to where they were ranked coming out of high school. So you see Andrew Harrison like ranked fifth in the country, number one point guard, and you go, okay, he's probably not that, so he's he's not any good. When in reality, if you could just rip those things away, um, he's having a perfectly reasonable, if not really good, college basketball career so far. What do you make of all that?
1: Yeah, I I think you're right. I really think it's three things. I think it's that, first of all. The expectations are, are really almost unmatchable when you're a kid like him. I think the second part is he's playing point guard, and it's a little bit like being quarterback, you know and, I mean, in Lexington, you know, I, I get Twitter hate after games when they only win by eighteen or twenty. <laughs> right. It's my fault. I bring a bad vibe, horns bad luck and, and the reason is expectations is they got to win by thirty. so you know, he's not going to meet those expectations as the point guard at Kentucky. And then I think the third thing quite honestly is you know he's got a personality, Gary, <laughs> yeah. that you know he, he he's he's not very demonstrative he, he doesn't smile a ton uh, you know people talk about he looks like he's pouting all the time you know and maybe he does look like that and maybe he is but you know, my question is kind of well what is he supposed to look like can't we just talk about what's going on between the lines and, and i can tell you as a young coach that kind of stuff used to bother me as an older coach now i just want to know what they're doing between the lines and are they about the team and winning and doing the right things and and i think the kid is i think his play shows that Uh, John Calipari says that so either he's really in full defense mode or the kid does do a good job with it and you know the bottom line is he's just not going to meet expectations at this point who's the best NBA prospect on Kentucky's roster
0: who's a great question are you talking about being drafted or just like like seven years from now who's the who's the best NBA player from this particular Kentucky roster
1: yeah, I think all of them are on potential. I would go with call Anthony Towns. Yeah, me too. And then my, my second would be a, a toss-up between Willie Cauley-Stein and Devin Booker. Yeah. I, I think I think Willie Cauley-Stein is an elite role player for what he does at the next level. He's an incredible athlete at seven foot. He's a great ball-screen defender. He runs the floor, and he's a rim protector. That's important for the role he's going to play at the next level. But Devin Booker continues to emerge as a guy. I think he can be a double-figure score in the NBA. He's got great range. He's big enough to shoot off the bounce and off down screens and curl action. And he's physical enough, I think, to finish at the rim and get to the foul line some as well. I think he's going to be a terrific pro when it's all said and done.
0: There is such a value connected to shooters now at the professional level. Like, you know, you know, as I think most people probably listening know, I live in Memphis, and so I I see that Grizzlies team all the time. And I, I can't tell you how much one of your former players, Courtney Lee, means to the Grizzlies and means to the career of Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph Strictly because he's a knockdown shooter who can, you know, space the floor and keep people from sagging off the perimeter. And so, you know, Courtney is uh, never going to be an all-star, but he is a hugely important player on a team that's, you know, second in the Western Conference right now, strictly because of his ability to shoot. And I'm not comparing he and Devin Booker as players. Like, Devin's actually a little bigger than Courtney. But, um, man, if you got size and you can really, really shoot it, and Devin Booker has size and he can really, really shoot it, I just don't see any scenario where he's not a useful and possibly high-level NBA player. I'm with you on Booker. I know he wasn't rated where some of the other guys were rated. But if I'm drafting off that Kentucky roster, I go Carl Anthony Towns first. But I might go Booker second. I'm totally on board with you here.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing to note about that, Gary, is at the next level, you're a star or you're a specialist. And and by that, you know, maybe you are using Courtney as an example. He makes open shots. He defends. But maybe more importantly, he doesn't make stupid plays, and he doesn't need a ton of shots to make shots. And I think that's really important if you're not going to be one of the two or three franchise-type guys on an NBA team. And that's another thing that impresses me about Devin Booker. He's not a shot jacker. He's not high volume. He's efficient in his shooting. And he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. And I think there is huge value in that, in addition to the fact that he can really make shots. You know, you
0: make a great point that that I think all, you know, wannabe NBA prospects should should try to grasp. They don't always do it. But it's a message I hear more and more coaches trying to stress, and certainly at the NBA level, folks trying to stress. Like, if you can be Kevin Durant, you should be. Like that that's an awesome thing to be. If you can be LeBron James, you should be. That's an awesome thing to be. But outside of those 10 to 15 20 guys in the entire world, uh, basically everybody else is in the league because they can do one thing really really well. Maybe it's rebound, maybe it's guard on the perimeter, maybe it's shoot, maybe it's whatever. Maybe it's get to the free throw line, maybe it's, you know, be a, a pestering uh, a bothersome backup point guard. But you know, whether it's Devin Booker or anybody else in college basketball, and, and at this point, you ought to know. Like, if you're Jahlil Okafor, be Jahlil Okafor. That's, uh, that, that's that's preferable. But outside of that, right. be awesome at one thing and make millions of dollars doing it. And I think, if nothing else, and I don't want to put a ceiling on Devin Booker. Like, hell, maybe he ends up being Clay Thompson. I don't know. But, it, you know... It, He's got that one NBA skill. I so often hear college basketball prospects say, you know, I need to show I can do this, or I need to show I can do that, or I need to show I need to expand my game. No, 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 you don't need to expand your game. You need to get more unbelievable at this one very specific thing. You know, Develop one obvious NBA skill, and that's how you get to the NBA. And I think Devin Booker already... I don't know what other skills he can develop, but already he has one obvious NBA skill, and that's his ability
1: to to shoot with size. Yeah, I mean, there's no question, and it's highly valued at that level, and and I'll tell you a great line I heard from an NBA guy one time, Gary. More guys play their way out of the league than they do play their way into it, and they play their way out by trying to do more and not being good at anything and still not being that LeBron or Kevin Durant. It's much more valuable to be a guy that does one thing and and, and for all the knock on college sports nowadays with all the uh, paradox of, is it, is it, is it a business? Is it education for the most part? It's still about giving guys scholarships and developing their game and fitting into a team and all that. The next level is what you said. It's a job. What do you do well within this team to help us win? And it better be something really well. If you're not LeBron or Kevin Durant, the idea that Mike Anderson at Arkansas wasn't
0: fined after publicly criticizing an official by name is that just an admission that hey the official screwed up in a pretty spectacular way and and you know actually cost Arkansas a win is, is that the way you viewed that I, I don't think there's really any other
1: way you can take that because they right. talk so much about you better not do that I mean I've, I've had calls like that before where I've gotten a call or had somebody grab me before the press conference and said hey they screwed it up but don't say anything you're going to get fined so for him not to get one I think that is what it is it's an admission of guilt is Arkansas the second best team in the SEC? No, LSU is. Okay. They don't play like it all the time. Well, that's what I mean. Is that based
0: on yeah, is that based on talent or is that based on the actual team? Because from a talent perspective, Darrell Martin, Jordan Mickey, like I love the roster. And then and then there are moments where I go, okay, that's a sweet 16 level team. And then they go out and lose some stupid game. It just drives me crazy watching them.
1: Yeah, you, you know what? I think what happens to them, Gary, is they get away from their identity sometimes. Yeah. You know, The reason they're better this year is Josh Gray is a really good player. Keith Hornsby on the perimeter starting to develop. Some NBA guys tell me Tim Corderman may be as good a prospect as they have because he's a big guard that can defend, make open shots, and do some athletic things. But at the end of the day, their squad is going to go as far as Jordan Mickey and Jarrell Martin. Those two guys are beasts at the college level. And sometimes they just seem to forget about them on the offensive end and don't play through them. And and when that happens, bad things happen like losing at Mississippi state, Mississippi state's playing better. Rick Ray's doing a nice job, but if you're LSU and you're trying to separate yourself as the kind of team you're talking about, you can't lose that game. And they did because they forgot about those guys.
0: You mentioned Martin and Mickey. And then uh, obviously at Arkansas, there's, there's Bobby Portis, um, We talk about all the bigs at Kentucky, and and for obvious reasons, they're terrific. But there's you know the SEC might be the best league in the country this year of just having uh, Vanderbilt's got one, uh, LSU's got two, although they're not you know uh, conventional bigs. Again, Bobby Portis, I don't know that he's a big, but he's tall, uh, really tall and, and awesome. Uh, 18 and, and 13, I guess it was last night, and, and that went over South Carolina. There's a lot of talented, tall dudes in the SEC. I guess that's my point.
1: Yeah, uh, there's no question. Uh, and, and and the thing that I like about them is they all produce every single night. I mean, you watch those guys, and, and when you talk about the four you just mentioned, and Willie Cauley-Stein has had some games where his numbers haven't been great lately, but those guys all kind of do what they do every single night. And that's not an easy thing to do when you get into league play and teams are scouting to take you out. I mean, you and I both know that Billy Donovan is a hall of famer, no question about it. And yet Damian Jones has a great game last night in a game where they're game planning to try to stop him. So I think there is some big talent, Uh, in the SEC, and I I think they're guys that uh, have a chance to be really good pros. How much of Florida's
0: issues this year, for people who aren't aware, they were preseason number seven in the country, now obviously unranked, I think only five and four in the SEC, uh, probably on the outside of the NCAA tournament right now. Uh, They're the only preseason top 15 team that's not ranked in the top 25 right now. How much of their issues are just that, when you look at their roster, they have two consensus top 10 players? who are sophomores and Casey Hill and Chris Walker, and neither of them are performing anywhere close to that level. How much of Billy's issues this year are just that the guys you you rely on in college basketball to be, to carry your program, which is, you know, if you have two top 10 recruits who are sophomores, those are the guys. They're just not, they're not performing to that level for whatever reason.
1: Well, yeah, I think it's two things. I think, I think one of them is that, I think another thing is they're, they're falling uh, victim to the Andrew Harrison theory. You know, the hype was so high. Yeah. And their team wasn't just ready for that. And, right. you, and you mentioned those two guys, Chris Walker and Casey Hill. And the fact of the matter is they're not top ten type players. They don't produce like that. And you know, one of the, my takeaways, this is going to sound really groundbreaking, Gary. You're going to want to share this all over the country. <laughs> but one of my big takeaways, just sitting there watching games, not worrying about winning, is kind of old school coach mode. You know what? Your best players have to play well or you're not going to win. Right. <laughs> And that doesn't sound real real dramatic no. or insightful, but, but it's pretty simple and it's really true. And you know what? Those two guys are supposed to be two of Florida's better players. First of all, I'm not sure that they are. And, and if they are, they're not performing in a way that's going to give Florida a chance to win tough games in league play.
0: I want to switch gears with you a little bit out of the SEC. I saw that you tweeted the other day that you you finally got to to watch uh, Virginia, and and this is what you tweeted. Impressed, team full of athletic, disciplined basketball players, mentally and physically tough. Uh, That's obviously a testament to the culture that Tony Bennett has built and You know, for folks who don't know the specifics, they do not have a consensus top 50 recruit on their entire roster. They do not have a consensus first round draft pick on their entire roster. Although, you know, Justin Anderson was a borderline top 50 guy, and Justin Anderson is a borderline first round projected pick right now. Still, relative to the Dukes and the Kentuckys of the world, Virginia doesn't have that kind of individual talent, uh, but I'd put them on a court in a 40 minute game against anybody. How much of that is. I guess let me ask it this way. Do coaches uh, regard Tony Bennett the way seemingly most people now regard Tony Bennett? Like he's he's really created something special here and seems to be one of the gifted, more gifted college basketball coaches in America. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Oh, I don't think there's any question that it is. I, I think he's done a terrific job. And, and probably his greatest strength, Gary, is he knows who he is and how he wants to play they recruit to it and they coach it every single day and and you can see that in how their team plays and and that's one of the reasons I tweeted that i think there's a misconception they don't have players man they got players right now, i don't know if they're going to be lottery picks but those dudes are really really good basketball players i mean they are high level guys and, and i was impressed with how physical they are i mean i, I again i had not gotten a chance to really sit and watch a full half and and sort of evaluate them so to speak And they are big and they are athletic at every position. They're all skilled and they've got a really good basketball team. So I think he's doing a great job. And I think because it's not a bunch of McDonald's All Americans, you know, we say, wow, he's really coaching them up. But they've got really good players too. So if anything, they deserve credit for their evaluations and the guys they signed and how they've developed them.
0: You live in Kentucky, so let me ask you about Rick Patino's Cardinals. They're, they they were terrible offensively most of this season, especially in that home loss to Duke. But they've now won four straight, and Montrezl Harrell, Terry Rozier, and Chris Jones are are really scoring at a at a high level. They're all averaging now on the season. Uh, at least 13.7 points per game. No other top 15 team has three guys averaging at least 13.7 points per game. Have they turned the the so-called corner offensively? And if so, if they're good enough offensively, they're obviously terrific defensively. Are we looking at a, another Final Four contender for Rick Pitino? What do you make of what's happening right now in Louisville?
1: You know, I, I think they're playing better. Uh, I, I think they're playing with more confidence and a greater understanding of, of who they are and how they need to play offensively, especially for them to be better. I don't know if I'm convinced they've completely turned the corner, like we're moving on to brighter days for good, because, right. you know, there's a reason you're bad offensively until February. Right. Uh, you, you know, and so I, I think that could rear its head again, but if they play well offensively, you know they're going to defend, and they're not going to get out-coached. So absolutely their team, that if they keep playing well offensively, can make a deep run in the tournament.
0: Let me wrap it up with this and and swing it back to Kentucky. We started talking about them. Uh, If there is a threat to them. Now, uh, obviously – I hate it when people say nobody can beat them because clearly somebody can beat them. They've almost lost. Like, if Ole Miss hits a shot at the buzzer, if A&M hits a shot at the buzzer, they would have been beaten already. They just missed shots at the buzzer. So they can obviously be beaten, but I think it's um, a common opinion now that if they play well, they're better than everybody else. But but if if there's a threat to Kentucky in the country, if there's a team that is actually built to maybe, you know, try to match up with them player for player and go beat them, you know... uh, in a, in a game in which both teams play relatively well. Who do you think that team is? Who's the biggest threat to Kentucky in this particular season?
1: You, you know, I, I've got three lump in that group, uh, and I think it's because, you know, if you just line up and kind of play like they play, uh, you know, they're going to win. They, they they got a better roster. They they just do. You know, like like some people like Arizona. I don't like Arizona against Kentucky. I think in a lot of ways they're they're too similar. If that makes sense. Sure. But I, I think Wisconsin because of their ability to bring bigs away from the basket. They don't make a ton of mistakes. Uh, they've got some pretty good size. Uh, their ability to make shots. Uh, I like Wisconsin as a chance. Obviously Duke uh, because of Okafor, their ability to spread the floor. They can also create and make shots. Let me tell you, if you're gonna beat them you're going to have to make some one-on-one plays and make some threes. So that's one of the things. I think Duke can do that. And then, you know, I I think Virginia, I don't know if they can score well against Kentucky, but they sure can be physical enough and they're not going to make mistakes. And, yeah, I was just really impressed with them the other night. I I think I would give Virginia – I would like to see the Virginia game. I don't know if they can beat them, to be honest with you, but I'd like to see that matchup.
0: Darren, I appreciate you being here, man. I know how busy you are with the the constant travel and and television duties. So uh, thank you, and I will watch you later on tonight uh, on the SMC Network. I promise you. All right, Gary. Thanks a lot. Hey, buddy. That's Darren Horn. Uh, Remember, you guys can subscribe to the ION College Basketball Podcast over at iTunes. That's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. We're now doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday podcasts, so make sure to keep up, and I will talk to you again in a couple of days. Take care.